Pentecostal Sunday, that people had no idea that they were on the precipice of eternal change. They thought they knew what was coming. They thought they knew what the scriptures had said, that though, though they were inferring them completely incorrectly, they thought that what they wanted was coming true. And over the next week, they would have the most rises and falls that you could ever imagine a group of people going through. And at the end of the week, there would be about three people at the cross and a whole lot of doubting Thomases. And what's funny to me is that Jesus had always told people who he was, what he was doing, and they still couldn't quite believe it. And it reminded me of a verse in uh, Habakkuk 1, verse 5, which is, Look around, all you nations, and be utterly amazed, for I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe even if I were to tell you. <laughs> and if that doesn't sum up everyone in the Bible at that point, then I don't know what does. But it's hard for us to judge when we could be very much the same way now. We've got 2,000 years of Jesus proving that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he does, and we still have trouble believing in him sometimes, don't we? Believing for what he does, believing in who he is. Today on Palm Sunday, I want us to press into believing in him, in who he says he is, that he is provider, that he is healer, that he is savior, that he is the lover of our souls, that he is a father and a king, that he is mightier than the grave. I don't know what it is personally that you might be having trouble believing in him to be, characteristically and capability-wise, but today, let's choose to believe in a God who is worthy and deserving of every title, every name, and all of our praise. Amen, church? This mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard that there is no way will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the immovable, break the unbreakable. God, we Power 
from the impossible we'll see a miracle god we believe god we believe for Say 
overcome the impossible. We'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. Every time you ask us, we believe. God, we believe for it. That you were, that you are, that you are coming again in power and holiness. God, we believe for it. That we will see your goodness alone in the land of the living God. God, we believe for Yeah. 
We give you the power. We give you the praise. Hallelujah. 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 In Jesus. Jesus, we give you the glory. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives, in this city, in our nation, in our world as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Your will, your power, your glory, in Jesus' name. And together we say amen and amen. Come on, can we give God a shout of glory today? Lord God, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We give you glory. Hallelujah. Oh, well, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. How we doing? So good to see you this Palm Sunday. What a great day Palm Sunday is. So glad you're here, being a part of this this morning. And man, you know, what we just said is the truth. It's really not about the songs or the music or the seats or the lights. It's really about Jesus. It's about who he is. And how he changed our lives and how because he changed our lives we get to live out glory for him. So I'm so glad that you've made it today. I'm so grateful that you've come. I do mean I'm thankful for those who made it through the storm last night. I know in our area it was crazy and for so many still without power and still without with problems. We, we, we stand in the gap. I want to encourage you keep standing in the gap for them as well. But I'm really glad that you're here today. Because when two or more are gathered, what does the word say? He's here in the midst of us. We didn't come to hear a great sermon. We didn't come to hear great worship. We came because he's here. And it's about Jesus. So for the next little bit, can we just maybe just put our week aside, put our worries aside, put our issues aside, and just focus on him. He's worthy to be and if this is your first or second time here at Connect, thank you for coming. Thank you for being our guest today. It's really great to have you here. You'll find up on the screen in just a moment a QR code or all over the place where you can go to our link tree, get connected. Let us know you're here. We just want to help you walk this thing out called the life of Jesus Christ. So important. And by the way, after service today, we want to invite you. I think you probably saw it on the way in. Our TKC, our food ministry, our food truck ministry is out outside. And we want to treat you to a meal. And just you can eat it outside or inside, whatever you feel comfortable with. If it's a little chilly, come on in. But this is just our time to be together. Look, we understand. Easter, you've got family and things going on. And you need to probably rush out. But you know what? Today, today, can we just be a community we just stop for a few moments like the crowd did on that day and maybe just say thank you to him together there's something powerful about being together isn't there it's so good to be here well hey kiddos it's time for you to head on out with mr vito over there can you guys give the kiddos a hand and all everybody who works with the kids fantastic raising up generations love you guys Hey, and as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them it's good to see them. Fist pump, whatever you like. I got two seconds. Love you. I love you. Oh. We know so many of the kiddos are away this week. Families are away this week, families are away next week, because some schools had off this week. 
and some schools have off after Easter. It's always fun to navigate those. And so just to, as a quick reminder, um, we won't be having our forged or shoulder to shoulder, which is our men's discipleships, our women's discipleship groups, meeting over the next two weeks just because we want to give you a, a Selah moment. Take a breath. Relax, enjoy. If you have kids and you are a parent, you got your kids at home or you're taking them on a trip, enjoy. If you're on vacation this morning already, if you are already there and, 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 and watching, hey church, can we say hello to everybody who's online? We love you guys. Thank you for being a part of this morning. Worship him. This is fantastic to have you. Hey, last thing that I want to say uh, before we hop right in today is I want to take a moment to invite you back to Good Friday service. We've got a Good Friday service on uh, uh, Friday obviously, um, at 7 p.m. So come on out. You know, for us, it's a different service, just like today is going to be a different service. But it's a time for us to remember and stop in our, in our world and remember what he did on the cross. Not just in a pants, passing glance, but in a in time to reflect and know that you and I are not our own. We were bought at a price. We were bought at a price. And just like that service is going to be different, today's service is going to be a little different, as you can already tell behind me. We, uh, we started doing this last year at uh, this day, and it's just a, a, a fun moment for us to realize who Jesus really is. And, and how good God is, by the way, that he has let us know hundreds of years before Jesus was ever to come, who he was going to be and what, how he was going to work. And so we're going to look at Jesus in our Passover we're going to look at Jesus as our Passover. So since you brought your Bibles, why don't you open with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is the second book of the, uh, of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus. It's the story, obviously, of how the Israelites left Egypt and were headed towards the Promised Land and how they couldn't get out on their own. My friends, you and I cannot change ourselves. We can't get out of oppression on our own. You can't get out of addiction on your own. You can't get out of sin on your own. We need the intervention of Jesus. And so today we're going to look at this Passover meal that's today we call the Seder. And we're going to see the hidden glory of Jesus in it. And so I want to encourage you, not like I don't usually, but today take notes. Get out your phone, get an old school notebook like my wife, and you get, just take some notes because then you can go back and reflect on it in your life. Because this moment, this Passover celebration is the, what the Bible says Jesus set his eyes towards when he was going to, towards Jerusalem. It is the culmination of this triumphal entry that we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday, is the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city. When he comes in, this is the culmination of it all. And in it, we get to see the glory of who Jesus is. Matter of fact, Colossians chapter 2, Paul tells me that the, the feasts are a shadow the reality is found in Jesus Christ. So what we see in shadow, see this is the beautiful thing about the Old Testament. We're like, I don't really get into the Old Testament. No, no, no. The old, what the Old Testament conceals, the New Testament reveals in Jesus. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. He's everywhere in it. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5 that you should, if you believe what Moses wrote, if you believe in the Ten Commandments, you should believe in me. Why? Because he wrote about me. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Matter of fact, when we look at the feast, Jesus is every part of it. He's not one part. He's not just the lamb, the sacrifice. He is the one who, he's the offerer. He's the sinner because he became us. He's the offering. He's the lamb. And he's the one, he's God. He receives the offering. He's all of it. 
So when we actually look at the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you can read it like a three-layer cake. Now, I don't know about you, but I like cake probably too much at the moment. But the beautiful thing about a three-layer cake is that every layer can stand on its own, but when you eat it together, you get the fullness of it. See, the Old Testament, when we look at these things, is three-layered. It's historically fulfilled in, Egypt, in Israel. Like, these things actually happened. They're prophetically fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the reality of these things. And then they are spiritually fulfilled in us. That's why when we talk about this, we're not just looking to see how glorious Jesus is, although that is something that should spark our passion for him. But we should be able to look at this and say, how is this applying in my life? Because there's spiritual application in the midst of all of this. But even before we hop into the Passover meal, today, when Jesus walked in or rode in to Jerusalem on that triumphal entry, that day was called the, sub, uh, the, 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 the Sabbat Haggadah, which means the High Sabbath. It's the only Sabbath that doesn't happen on a day that is Sabbath. It happens on a literal day, the 10th day of Nisan. It is the day that when they were in Egypt, the men and, the men and women would bring the lamb that was going to be uh, sacrificed into the house. They would bring it into the house with them. See, it's intentional. Jesus waited. It's not coincidence that Jesus waited to this day, to this moment, for him, the Lamb of God, to actually enter into the house of God, enter into the city of God. Why? As all the other lambs that were coming in to be sacrificed were coming in, Jesus joined the procession as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And what's so powerful about this, if you actually read backwards into Exodus 8, Moses said, Oh man, if we do this, we're worried that the Egyptians are going to stone us. See, this is what's so funny sometimes. We are so, so much, so often hindered by fear, bullied by the enemy not to bring the lamb into our house, bullied by the enemy to not bring the whole lamb in because we're afraid. But see, this is it. This gives us the answer to fear, the answer to the bullying of the enemy. How do we get over it? How do we defeat it? We go ahead and bring the lamb in. We bring the lamb into our kids' lives. We bring it into our social life. We bring it into our marketplace. We bring it into our house. We bring it into our relationship. And then we praise him. Because what did they do when the lamb was coming in? They praised him. When you bring the lamb into every area and start to praise him for who he is in that area, it will break you free from the fear in that area and what the enemy can bring. This is a powerful moment. And I think for us to understand Passover, we need to go back to the beginning in Exodus 12, right? Where the people were trapped in slavery in Egypt. Egypt is always a symbol of the world. It's a symbol of oppression, of sin. And so what we see is that they were all caught in sin, in slavery, in oppression, just like all of us. Every one of us is caught. Before the Passover lamb, all of us are caught in slavery to sin. None of us are any better. That's why the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because Romans chapter 3, 23 says, for all of us, it doesn't say all of us except for churchgoers, all of us except for American Christians, all of us except for those of us who think we don't stink, come on somebody, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in this before the Passover lamb. That's why we all need a way out of Egypt. Here's the problem. They couldn't do it by themselves. 
The Bible says they even doubled their work. Pharaoh said, if you double the work, I'll let you go. Come on, somebody. How many times do you know that when you're trying to get out of something, the enemy simply says, if you just work harder at it. If you would just work harder at being a better Christian. If you just work harder at being a better person. If you just work harder at getting out of the addiction. You can't. Because it's not about working harder. It's about the only way out is the blood of the Lamb. The only way out for everyone in this room, online, all of us, is the blood of the Lamb. Do you remember there were ten plagues? Nine of them didn't touch the Israelites when they were in Goshen. But the tenth one, which was death, it came for everybody. It came for everybody. And the only way death passed by, passed over, passed over, passed over is when it saw the blood of the Lamb. It didn't see your tithe. It didn't see your service. It didn't see what you quit or what you gave up or what you sacrificed. It saw the blood of the Lamb and it passed over. The only way out is Jesus. That's why this table is important because it reminds us it ain't about us. We are partakers. We are not providers. We are partakers. We are not providers. God's plan is found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. It says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may, you may take it from the sheep or the goats, the Gentiles or the Jews, come on. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. I'm going to stop there for a moment. The number 14 means complete agreement. Complete agreement. Two is the number of agreement. Seven is the number of completion. When you have two, when two touch anything, when they're saying it's complete, it's complete. When God says it and we say it, it's automatically done in our lives. That's all right. It's not just what God says. It's when we say yes to what God says. That makes it complete in our life. By the way, it says he was killed at twilight. When did Jesus die? When the Bible says when Jesus died, it was all dark. Why? Because he died at the precipice, at the combination of where light touches darkness. So he could shatter the darkness. By the way, they killed him on the 14th day, and then they ate him on the 15th day because sunset began a new day. Seven plus eight, come on, is 15. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. When you eat, come on, it's not just that when you kill the lamb, it's when you eat of the lamb, when you partake of it, there's a new beginning. Isn't that what Jesus is inviting you and I into? A new life. You've heard me say it a thousand times. Christianity is not about us being better than we used to be. It is being different and new. He didn't, make, he didn't die for a better me. He died for a new me. Verse 7 says, they, they, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the house in which they eat. They shall eat of the flesh that night, roasted on fire, with unleavened bread, made without yeast, and bitter herbs they shall eat. Verse 11 says, this is how they're to eat. Put your cloak tucked in your belt. Come on, we preached about this a little bit. Get ahead of it. Get ahead of it. With your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Come on, we are not supposed to eat this and stay in our sin. We're supposed to get out of our sin and oppression quickly. It's not about just getting forgiven and staying in our old life. It's about fleeing what we used to be to live in what he provided. On that same night, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, every man and animal. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood, come on somebody, say the blood. The blood, underline it, highlight it. The blood will be a sign for you. 
on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day for you to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. This is the Passover. In Hebrew, that word pasah does not mean to simply step over or go around. It means to spread your wings over to cover. Do you realize this is what Jesus did on the cross? He spread his wings over you to cover you and I with his blood. God didn't go around our sin. God didn't overlook our sin. He poured it out. He covered it with his own blood. Now when we talk about this moment of Passover, this is what he did on Thursday night with his friends. And the reality is that there were some things that were added to the Passover celebration over the years to remind uh, the eater, the participant, about what, they, what God had done. And not every part of this is mentioned in the Gospels, right? But what we do know is this. The truth is the whole Passover meal is not described in the, gospel, the Gospels, but there are 14 different segments of this meal. That are described in the gospel. Why? Because the gospel's purpose wasn't to actually prove the Seder. It was to reveal Jesus. But in the, the totality of it, we should see this is what he was doing on Thursday night. This right here. What we're going to do today is what he did with his friends. And in it, he was trying to do the same thing I'm trying to do today. Reveal himself to you. The Bible says in Mark 14, verse 12. Remember, this is Peter writing. Mark is his, uh, his secretary, but Peter's, this is Peter's gospel. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare to eat for the Passover? What are they going to eat in the Passover? Verse 16 says, so the disciples set out and went to the city and found it as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So let me just say this before we even talk a little bit more about what's on the plate. This, my friends, is a sacred feast. And it is a sacred feast to our, brothers and, our Jewish brothers and sisters. This is important. And it matters. And it should be celebrated. Because, my friends, you and I were grafted into this. The promises and the prophecies are, are not American. The promises and the prophecies came from the Jewish nation. Jesus, the Messiah, was Jewish. And so... What we have to see is that we were grafted, yes, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, but make no mistake, we were grafted into them. And I think it's easy in this world today, in this modern world, to become so kind of westernized and, and Americanized that we, that we often lose the beauty of, the, of, of what God's trying to do by reminding us that we're grafted in. We certainly are the bride of Christ. But the bride was birthed in Jerusalem, which is in Israel. What they would wear, this is called a kittle, and it symbolizes the robe of the priest, the priesthood. And this over here is a mitre. It symbolizes the crown in the Middle East. And these are the two pieces of garments that the person who was leading the Passover Seder meal would wear. The garment of the priest and the garment of the king. 
the garment of the priest and the garment of the king. Why? Because even in the very beginning of it, before he says a word, Jesus is donning who he is. Jesus is the high priest, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords. But what's beautiful is he doesn't keep it to himself. He shares that with you and I because we are a priesthood of all believers. He invites us in. He actually makes us a co-heir with him. Revelation tells me that we are a nation of kings and priests. 1 Peter 2 says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. By the way, the kittle can also represent a burial shroud. (laughs) Our high priest wore a burial shroud for us. Now, I'm not going to wear them out of respect of my Jewish brothers, but I wanted to give you a beautiful moment to see how God, even from the beginning of this, was showing who he is. Jesus is not just a priest. He's not a rabbi. He's not a good man. He is the priest of priests and the king of kings. What's cool, by the way, is that they, they also had, they would, they had pillows because they would recline on pillows. The Bible says when they ate, they were reclining at the table because their tables were on the ground. Now, we can't have a table on the ground because I got some old knees. Come on, somebody say amen. But the reason that they had pillows is because only free men, free women could actually recline at pillows. Slaves had to stand at the meal. No, 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 no. Slaves had to stand. That's a re- there's a reason you have, we have pillows around this room. Why? So that when you walk in, you can be reminded what Galatians 5.1 says. It is for freedom that Christ came to set me free. No longer to be bound to the yoke of slavery. When I see the pillows, when I walk in this room, I should say, I'm not a slave any longer. I am a free man or woman ready to recline and rest in my God. I am not a slave. I was bought at a price. I'm not going back to Egypt. Come on. When you see, you see, when you see that pillow, I'm not going back to Egypt. When you're leaning on a pillow, I'm not going back to Egypt. On the table, there was always matzah. Matzah is unleavened bread. Now, leaven means sin. We've talked about that before. And there's no sin in the Passover at all. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life, and in him there is no Passover. I mean, there's no sin. This also, by the way, was on the table of showbread in the tabernacle, which we talked about at Forge, which represents who Jesus is, where the priest would eat. What's so beautiful about this is it reminds us. Leaven, the Hebrew word for leaven is chometz. It actually means sour and bitter, because that's what happens when we allow sin in our lives. Sin produces, and it always multiplies, bitterness and sourness. But the word for unleavened is matzah, which actually means sweet without bitter. It's sweetness without any sourness at all. Because that's what the life of Jesus can bring to you and I when we actually partake of who he is. The more we partake of him, the more the bitterness and the sourness leaves, and the more the sweetness of life in Christ comes. That's why we have to understand what the Bible's talking about, about getting rid of the old lump. Because in, the old, in, in antiquity, when they won the leaven bread, they would take a lump out of the leaven bread and set it aside. So when they were making a new bit of dough, they would just simply take that leaven piece and put it in with the, with the new dough, mix it up, and the leaven from the old gets in with the new. That's why the Bible tells us, the, the Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, that you and I need to intentionally get rid of the old yeast of our life. 
Get rid of the leaven that's sitting around because we have a new lump. His name is Jesus, by the way. Paul says, Jesus, our Passover lamb. He's tying it back to this table. I think what I love about this moment, which is always fun, is in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, before everything starts to happen, it tells us that at the beginning of the week, that all the leaven was supposed to be removed from the Jewish household. So tradition tells us that, that, that the, the, the wife would go around the house and she'd clean out all the leaven, but she'd take one little piece of leaven and she'd hide it somewhere in the house. So when the husband, when the father came home, the father would search the whole house. Then he'd find the leaven because the father's always searching our hearts. The father's always searching our life. And he finds the leaven that we've hidden, that we didn't expect to be found. And he takes it, in the, in the, and, and tradition says he would put it in fine linen, and he would burn it up because there's not supposed to be any sin in the house. There's not supposed to be sin in the house of God, in our house. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin. It means that we have to allow the Father, when there is sin, to be the one that removes it and burns it and changes us, cleans the house. Why does he put it in a white linen? Because it symbolizes righteousness. Sin was placed inside of the righteous life of Jesus Christ, wrapped up and burned up by the wrath of God on the cross. I'm so thankful that he doesn't make us. He's not like, oh, yeah, okay, uh, clean yourself up. Uh, yeah, yeah, before we're cool, you better get cool. Passover starts, my friends, with the lighting of the four candles. It is the brook Haner. And it was always, these four candles were always lit by a woman because it would be a woman that would give birth. That would be the, the, the vehicle that brings light into the world. It was Mary, come on somebody, that gave birth to Jesus, that brought the light into the world, that Isaiah prophesied the virgin would give birth and his name would be called Emmanuel and he will be a light unto the nations. But it also reminds us, we, the bride of Christ, the women, the bride of Christ, are meant to be a light into our world. A transitioning from darkness to light. The place where Passover can start. When you and I bring the light of God into the situation, we are saying to darkness, you have no more power here. We're going to transition this place from darkness to light, and we're going to believe that this is where Passover is going to start in that person's life. Yeah. I'm going to believe this is where Passover is going to start in my office, in my kids' lives. Right here, right now, I'm going to light up. What does Jesus say in John 8? I am the light of the world. It starts with light entering the darkness. Now, Passover is based around four questions and four cups. We're not going to get into the questions. But basically, the questions are all about remembering what God has done. Remembering what God has done and passing it on to generations. It's why Jesus keeps saying, and when you do this, remember me. It's not... Those aren't just so that you and I, he's echoing back to this. Remember me. Remember, remember, remember what I've done. And then there are four cups, but it's only out of one cup. There's one cup with four symbols. It's unity that comes in this plurality. When the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us participate. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do the first three cups. 
which is sanctification and redemption and forgiveness. And then we do the fourth cup, which is praise. Because he did all this stuff, now I drink the cup of praise. The first three are on God. The last one, come on, church. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So this first cup that we come to is the cup called Kiddush. It's the cup of sanctification. It's the cup when you drink it, it makes you clean. Everything, my friend, starts with sanctification. But yours and mine, our sanctification cannot be initiated by us. It's initiated by God. God initiated the Passover, not Moses. Moses communicated the Passover. God initiated the Passover. You and I cannot start our own sanctification. We can't say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit moves inside of us. It's God who initiates this in you. There's no room for pride in us. I'm such a good Christian. No, no. God saved you from what you would have been. He initiated the change. By the way, the, the, the prayer of this cup ends with, Blessed is the creator of the fruit of the vine. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus holds this cup in, in Luke chapter 22, he said, man, I'm so eager to eat this Passover meal with you. But look what he says. Take this cup, divide it for you, for I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. He's reassessing who the creator of the fruit of the vine is until, I, until the kingdom comes. The first cup is about being sanctified by Jesus. That's why Hebrews 10 says that we've been sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ, his body. It's not us. It's not our works. It's him and him alone. Then the Bible tells us comes the washing of the hands in a basin. They would wash their hands so that they would be ceremonially clean. Ah, but what does Jesus do? He takes this up one step, doesn't he? He doesn't wash their hands. He takes, out, he takes off his outer garment, John 13 says, his kittle. He removes his position in life. He takes the basin. He gets on his knees. He starts to wash their feet. Peter says, oh, no, wash my whole body. Jesus said, if I we only wash a bit of you, all of you is clean. Because he wasn't worried about being ceremonially clean. He was talking about being spiritually clean by what he and he alone can do. This is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The living water that cleanses us. To remember in the tabernacle, after the altar, there is a laver. There is a bowl filled with water that the priest would cleanse themselves in. This is what Jesus is saying he does. This is what happens after sanctification. The Holy Spirit comes. John 7. And I'll fill you with streams of living water that flow out from within you. This is the basin. He makes us clean so we can worship a holy God. We don't clean ourselves up and come to Jesus. We come to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit cleans us up so we can worship God. After this, we get to the plate. And here on the plate, there's the carpus which is the greens, this parsley. And it reminds us the green is about life, that what Jesus is trying to do is bring life to you and I. But it's not simple life. You've got to dip it into the salty water because it is life that comes through tears. It's a reminder that the firstborn son got to live because the lamb died. It's you and I get to live because Jesus died for us so yes, it's life, but it's life that comes at a 
cost. It's why it's dipped in there twice. The first time is to remember what we came out of, the tears of slavery. But the second one is so that we can taste the salty water like the ocean and remember just how abundant the green life is in the ocean. That That's what we're going towards. That Jesus didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. We didn't just get out of slavery. We get into abundant relationship with Jesus. This is what it reminds us of. Then we come to this place that is the Hazaret, the bitter root, this romaine lettuce. And it's because when you start at the, at the root of it, man, if you eat this part, it's bitter. But the further away from that root you get, the sweeter and greener the life is. It reminds us that the more we stay in our root, connected to our root of slavery, stay connected to oppression, stay connected to what we used to be, stay connected to how we used to think, stay connected to how we used to feel, it's a root of bitterness. But the further we get away from it, my God, how good is our life going to be? He didn't just die so that I could have life. He died so that I could have life and life more abundantly. Yes, it's bitter. Yes, there's hardship. But my Jesus came so that we could have life abundantly. See, the roots of bitterness, my friends, are part of our natural condition. And they'll grow more and more the more connected we stay to our past. But the Lamb of God removes even the deepest roots of hurt and sadness and bitterness. Because Passover isn't simply about forgiveness. It's about wholeness. That's why Jesus said in John 8, when I, when the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Then we come to this glop of horseradish, which is clearing out my nostrils. The horseradish is there to remind us that when you take a piece of the matzah and you dip it in the horseradish and you eat it, you begin to cry. Wow, you begin to cry. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it reminds us that often our past life has despair. Often our, our past life brings tears. But it doesn't end here because there's a lamb coming. Because Romans 8, 1 says, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation, because the Lamb takes both of them. Hebrews chapter 12 says, he endured the cross and suffered the shame. That means there's no shame left. We should not take off the cross what Jesus nailed to the cross. And that's why he brings us then, after we've had this bitter moment... <laughs> To this hazaret, this mixture of sweetness, nuts and fruit and molasses and good stuff. Because when you eat of this, the bitter taste of the horseradish disappears. And all you can taste is the sweetness in your mouth. Bitterness, the bitterness of oppression disappears the more that we eat of the sweetness of his redemption. It's not just remembering what you were. It's remembering who he is. The more we eat of that, the more sweet our life becomes. 
Isn't this why Isaiah 61 says, what will the Messiah do? What will the Messiah do? He will, he will bestow on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He'll put on us the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. After all, what was the goal of getting them out of Egypt? It was to get them into the, into the promised land. It wasn't to get them into wandering in the wilderness. It was to get them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey of abundance of his blessing, of wholeness and holiness, of wholeness and holiness. Then we come to this baitza, this roasted egg. That's roasted by fire. Now I'm going to tell myself a little bit today. I roasted two of these on Friday for today. Just about the time that I thought that they were dead. They were in the oven. They were roasting. Just about the time I thought that they were going to be done. I literally was counting down four, three, and I heard a boom. And one of them exploded in my oven. And I ran over, opened it up, pulled it out. I was like, "Woo! I got one left. Put that one on the top. And it went boom all over my kitchen. So this egg comes at a cost. Thank you, Danielle. <laughs> but it's life. It reminds us that life comes out of the fire. That life comes out of the fire. That the life that you and I are experiencing today didn't come cheaply. Grace is not inexpensive. It reminds us that the sacrifice of God was placed on the fire of the altar and was burned, took the wrath of God, and yet there's still life in it. By the way, eggs were given to mourners to remind them, even though the person dead, there's still a resurrection to come. Oh, come on, somebody. We've got to remember that even when the, when the egg was roasted, it was reminding us there's a resurrection. Hey, brothers and sisters. Hey, hey, Peter. Hey, John. Hey, Matthew. I want to remind you, when you eat this, remember, there's a resurrection coming. He reminds us that the sacrifice that brings new life was made by the suffering servant. Isn't that what Isaiah 53, 11 says? After he suffered in his soul, he'll bring life. The egg represents this new life, this wholeness that comes through fire. By the way, it also represents the Trinity. Because every egg is made up of a shell, whites, and a yolk. A shell, a white, and a yolk. And it was when the shell, come on somebody, when the shell, when the thing that's visible from the outside, when the thing that we see and identify that makes it an egg was touched by fire, when it was cracked, when it was broken, when we see that, it'll give us life. How? How will it give us life? The last thing on the plate. The roasted lamb. The roasted lamb. The lamb that was slain and an offering made by fire. The Bible says the lamb must be a male without spot or blemish. That's why Jesus was made a male it's not a chauvinistic thing. It is a spiritual principle. He was a male without sin. The firstborn son of God had to undo what the firstborn son of man, Adam, did. 
right? Jesus took our sin and became it. Jesus didn't overlook our sin. He didn't die for us. He died as us. You and I hung on that cross. You are dead in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the sinner would bring the lamb and they'd lay hands on the lamb. They'd pray their sin into the lamb. And that little lamb would be the carrier of the sin. Then they bring the lamb to the priest, and the priest would, uh, would kill it, and the blood would cover. Isn't this what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.18? That it is not with precious stones or silver or gold that we are redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. The lamb would be roasted on the fire and then eaten. The fire represents God's judgment, doesn't it? The fires of wrath and of eternal punishment. The fires of hell itself. Jesus did not just conquer hell. He took your hell. He was experiencing it on the cross. Darkness, thirst, anguish, separation from God. In the Bible, those are the things that actually identify what hell is. And Jesus on the cross, my God, where are you? I thirst. It is in the middle of darkness. He felt abandoned by God. And in the midst of it, he took our hell. He took the judgment. That's why there is no judgment left for you and I. When we are worried, oh my gosh, I don't know when I stand before God, am I going to be okay? Yes, if you know Jesus, it's about the roasted lamb, not about the roasted you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. By the way, isn't it amazing that God says that not one bone of the lamb should be broken? And isn't it amazing that the Bible tells me that when Jesus hung on the cross, that even though the Roman soldiers broke the two thieves' legs, when they came to Jesus, they didn't break even one bone in his body because prophecy that was given thousands of years before had to be fulfilled. Those Roman soldiers didn't have a choice. God had already ordained it to happen. There are things God has already ordained in your life. The enemy can be around you. The enemy can have the mallet to destroy you. The enemy can have the weapon to break your body. And yet God could have already said, they will not touch a bone on your body. That's, what Jesus, that's how powerful our God is. The Roman soldiers had one idea. Come on, somebody. God had another one. We should be remembering that. I know, but the devil, the enemy, I know the, the, the Democrats, the Republicans, the White House, the Russians. Mm, the Romans had a plan. God had another one. By the way, the second cup. Oh, we're almost there. We're going somewhere. Are you all right? I'm sweaty and thirsty, but it's all good. This is a, the second cup is the cup of plagues, and they would dip their finger in it nine times and drop it onto the plate to remind us that everything on the plate was covered by the blood to represent the nine, the nine, the nine areas, the nine plagues that God did not allow to touch his people. But then it reminds us of the tenth cup, of the tenth moment of blood. That didn't come from the cup, it came from the lamb. The Bible says that they would took the lamb outside of their front door, and they killed it. And the blood went into the basin. And then they took hyssop, and they took the blood, and they put it over the lentil, and then on both sides of the door. They put it over the lentil, 
and on both sides of the door. They put it over the lentil and on both sides of the door. Even from a thousand years before Jesus was coming, God was showing what the symbol of his blood that would cause death to pass over you would be. By the way, it had to be, their, their doors were made of wood. They didn't have metal doors and aluminum frames. They had wooden doors. Wood always symbolizes humanity in the Old Testament. It's when the blood of Jesus gets on our humanity. All the places we mess up, all the things that we think do and don't stink, when it gets on us, the death angel passes by. This is why Jesus says, I am the door. If you come into me, you'll be saved. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Open it up. Why? Why did it have to be blood? Because Le- Leviticus 17:11 says life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. That's why Jesus took his own blood in Hebrews 9, and after he died, he went into the Holy of Holies in heaven, and he poured out his blood on the altar, on the mercy seat, once and for all. You don't have to beg Jesus, please, Jesus, please, please, please pour out more blood for me. Please, 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 please. I'll do whatever you want, please. Once and for all, the blood was poured out. This, by the way, might be my favorite piece. They come to this thing that's called the matzatash. Matzatash is a bag, sometimes called ikad, which actually means one in Hebrew, but it doesn't mean one singularly. It means one found in plurality, which is, by the way, how God is described in the Old Testament. So when we say God is one in the Old Testament, it's ikad, which actually means there's a plurality of oneness. In this bag... This bag of one, there are three sections. How can there be three sections and there still be one? Now, the, the rabbis will tell you it represents Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or, or maybe it re- represents worship being the Levites, the priests, and the people. But you and I know why there are three sections in this bag. Because it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that he was showing from the very beginning. And what's so amazing about this, in the, when, you, when, when, they, when, they, when they came to this place in time, and you got to imagine Jesus doing this, he reaches in to the middle section, and he takes out the bread that's in the middle section, which is called the bread of affliction. What section is it in? The middle section. He takes out the bread that's in the middle section, which is called the bread of affliction, and it has no yeast. Do you know how they could tell it has no yeast? Because when it was still dough, they would pierce it to see if it would rise or not. Then they would take it, and they would have to be burned on a fire so that it would be striped. Oh, the only way for matzah to be official is for it to have no leaven in it, for it to be pierced, and for it to have stripes of fire. The Bible tells me in Hebrews 4 that Jesus was without sin, made like us, but had no leaven in him. And Isaiah 53 says that he was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace, he was pierced and he was crushed. And by his stripes, I'm healed. I'm not sure when Jesus broke the bread, what he was saying. When he said, this is me. What's so cool, by the way, about this is that they break it in half. They put one half back into the middle section. Why? Because God, Jesus has always been with God and always will be. 
But then they take this other piece, which is called the afakumen. By the way, afakumen means that which comes later. And they wrap it in white linen. They wrap it in a shroud. Then the father takes it and he hides it somewhere in the house for it to be found later. But here's the gig. The meal cannot be completed until the afakumen is found. But the Bible says that the disciples ate the meal. But the afakumen had not been found yet. Because the afakumen didn't come till Sunday morning when the stone was rolled away. That's when this was finished. I love it though. During the meal, he'd hide it and then he'd send the kids off to find it. And the children of the father would run around the house looking for the afakumen. And whoever found it would get blessed with all sorts of gifts and presents and money and candies and chocolates. All sorts of gifts. See, my friends, when you and I find the afakumen that the, that the Father has hidden for us, He gives us and bestows on us the gifts of salvation, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of prosperity, the gifts of peace, the gifts of hope, the gifts of life, the gifts of newness. Then, after the child finds it, they take all, the Father takes the pieces and He breaks it up and He gives it to everybody to eat. Oh, come on. Because we are not meant to keep the afakumen to ourselves. We're meant to give it away. Why is the middle section broken, buried, and comes back? Because it is Jesus. What Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Take it, eat it, and remember. By the way, just as a note, since you're taking notes. The first piece, once it's put in, is never seen again. You don't look at it, you don't take it out, you don't view it. The second piece is taken out, broken, half put back in, half becomes the half cumin. The third piece actually is the piece that the, that, that, the, that the host uses to break apart to actually participate with everything that's on this plate. Because it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that, it actually, that, that actually enables you and I it's the Holy Spirit, the third piece, that enables you and I to, actu to actualize and activate and, uh, everything that is on this plate in our lives. I'm bringing it home. Don't worry. I told you today's different. But I hope you're seeing who he is. Can you see him sitting with his brothers and saying, but don't you understand? This is me. My body will be broken for you. Wrapping it up in a shroud, putting it away, hiding it. I wonder if he was trying to get them to remember on that Saturday when they wrapped him up on Friday and put him in. Remember, there's an afakumen coming. The meal's not over yet, my friends. I didn't leave you. I'm coming back for you. Because the next cup after this, after the afakumen is found, the next cup is called the cup of blessing. And redemption. It's the blessing of freedom from slavery and the promise of a future of redemption of the Messiah. Jesus is this cup. This is the cup that Jesus says in Luke 22. This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. It's for the forgiveness, the redemption of your life. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it and drink it and remember. 
remember? Do you realize what they would be remembering? A prophecy in Jeremiah 31 that said when the Messiah come, comes, I will actually have a new covenant with my people. It won't be written on stone. It will be written on their minds and in their hearts. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. And I will... I will, I, will, I, I will hold their wickedness and sin against them no more. There's total forgiveness. And it's this cup that Jesus held in his hands that would inaugurate that prophecy's fulfillment. He was saying to them and saying to you, through this cup, there's no more bondage, no more slavery, no more death, only redemption. It's a new covenant because it's a new day. It's a new beginning. There's new blessings because it's the blood of the lamb, there's new life. This is why Paul tells us in, first, in Colossians 1.13 that he has delivered us out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. We have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So here we are. Maybe You've never stopped in your life and allowed your whole life to be under the blood of the Lamb. Maybe there's parts of you that you're still trying to hide from God, still trying to keep in reserve just in case this whole Jesus thing, church thing doesn't work out. But see, the Bible tells us that if there was parts of you outside of the house, that you'd die. That all of you had to be under the blood of the Lamb. All of us have to drink from the cup of redemption. Maybe we've been trying to believe what they were believing, what Pharaoh made them believe for so long. If you just work harder, if you work harder, if you work harder, you can get out of slavery. But it's a lie, you can't. The only way out, my friends, is through the cup of Jesus Christ, the blood of redemption. And when you drink of this blood, there is such peace. Doesn't mean that you and I will no longer sin. We will. It just means that our sin will never be held against us again. Because all the wrath that was on you and that was on me, all the hell that we deserve for breaking the law was placed on Jesus. All of it's burned up. You've got nothing left. So if you were raised in a way that just said, man, just work a little harder and God will be happy with you. Or if you're basing your hope on what you quit or what you give or what you do or what you stop doing. There's no peace or hope in that. But if today you're willing to say, I realize I can't do it and I'm tired of the fear it brings then come to the blood of the Lamb. We're going to pray, because this is an altar call. It's what Jesus did. I'm not asking you whether you're religious. If you grew up in church, went to Sunday school, played with Flannable or Jesus back in the day, I'm asking you today, have you put your life under the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I'm all in? Because if it's about him and what he has done, the Bible is filled with promises of wholeness and hope, forgiveness and a future. But if it's all us, 
we're still in slavery. Today is your day. Today is your day. Can we pray? Listen, whether you're in this room today and you can say, man, to be honest, God, you know that I've never really put all of my life under you. Or whether you're watching online or listening later on, no matter where you are today, can I encourage you? It is by grace through faith, apart from any work, that you shall be saved. So if you find yourself today ready to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I want the peace that comes from following you. The wholeness that only you can bring. The life that only you can produce. Then just pray this prayer with me. We're all going to pray it together, but you pray it from the bottom of your heart. And God will meet you right where you are. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my life. All of it. I'm holding nothing back. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. To cover me with your blood. To forgive me of all my sins. Everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit today. Make me your child. Today I desire to live for you and you alone. I hold nothing back. Jesus, to you, I say yes. I will not go back, and I will not look back. All is yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we give God some glory? Father, thank you so much for people today in this house, out of this house, around the world. Father, hearing and receiving you today in Jesus' name. Hey, my friends, thank you for letting me share that with you today. And if you prayed that prayer, we are so excited for you. Thank you for saying yes to Jesus. We have uh, a book we'd like to give you. Uh, some of our pastors will be back here at this table before we head on out to TKC. If you want to know more about that or you have a teenager that would love to know a little bit more about we have some books, some free resources just to give you. Because this is not the end of your journey. It's just the beginning. You know, they ended with one cup. And we're going to get to that cup in just a second. But on a day like today, a week like this week, what we're coming up to, the worship, worshiping God with our offerings should be pretty easy because the Bible simply says freely you've received freely give back and so I just want to encourage you as we get ready to go in just, a, in just a moment to not just to respond with your heart today but to respond with your life today there's a lot of different ways that you can give I know the, the slide will be up there in a moment there are envelopes there that you can put in these gold kiosks on the way out. You can always give online. But if you received something, give something. 
He didn't just take the afikumen for himself. He broke it and he gave it away. Did you learn anything today? Did you learn anything about Jesus today? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, the last cup, worship team, can you guys come really quickly? The last cup that they would drink, the one that's on us, see, the cup of sanctification, well, that's on God. The cup that would cover the plagues and bring salvation, that's on God. The, the, the cup that would bring blessing and redemption, that's on God. But the last cup, that's on us. It's called the cup of Hallel. Hallel means praise. Hallelujah, Hallel, praise, Lou, the, Yah, God, praise the Lord, praise God. And they would end it by reading sections of Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And what I thought was so interesting about Psalm 118, the very last verse of that very last section that they would read during the cup of Hillel is this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love and mercy endures forever. His love and mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. The Bible tells us that after they rose and sang a hymn, they went out. That's what we're going to do. They went out with a heart filled with praise. They went out with praise. They went out with praise. They went out with praise. See, coming together is not simply about getting a good word. Coming together isn't simply about getting just our praise on. Coming together is getting something, getting getting filled, getting changed, getting restored, getting redeemed, getting sanctified, and then going out with praise. The one that we take out of here is this cup, the cup of praise. Can we stand together? We're just going to end just like they did. They sang a song of hallelujah, and then they went out. They sang, and then they went out. They sang, and then they went out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My hallelujah belongs to you. My hallelujah belongs to you. Yes, it does. My hallelujah belongs to you. My hallelujah belongs to you. You deserve it. 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 You deserve it.
Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. How did they overcome fear? How did they overcome being bullied by the enemy? They brought the lamb into their house. They began to praise him. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Glory glory to him who comes in the name of the Lord. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy to receive glory, honor, power, and praise. You're worthy. Worthy is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Worthy is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Glory to the one. All of the angels bow down. Say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Daddy, fill our lives. May our praise fill this earth. Daddy, don't let the rocks cry out in our place. Today, we choose to praise you. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room today. I thank you for the redemption that the Lamb could bring. That it is not us, but it is entirely you. Christ and Christ alone, my cornerstone. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Chris. Power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah! Hey, church, we love you. Have a great day.